Well, Renee Vitelli, this dang holiday shopping season begins earlier and earlier. Uh, you know what? And I don't even know if I'm going to get anything because I feel like the deals are getting worse and worse. So today is Prime Day. I guess it snuck up on us. I feel like there's I feel like there's a, a more than one Prime Day a year. Yeah, there's like three or four. Is it quarterly now? I don't know. It, and we didn't win Powerball, so we can't just go crazy. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a uh, a roll of toilet paper or something if I can get a good deal on it. <laughs> yeah. But I never shop for Prime Day because there there's there's never anything that that I need right away. I feel like for Prime Day what they're trying to do is they're trying to get people who don't really need stuff to buy stuff under the guise of saving money. However, if it wasn't Prime Day, they wouldn't have spent that money in the first place. Right. Well, in the beginning, there was a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But now it just feels like it's Amazon products, which how many times can you buy Amazon Echo this, Amazon TV that? You you know when they need to make Prime Day? When? The last possible shipping day before Christmas. Because that's what I'm scrambling. Say, I need to find some deals. I need to find some deals. Grandma's getting an Echo Dot. So is Grandpa. (laughs) So is Uncle Bob. Right. Oh, uh, I forgot about my cousin. They can get my old Amazon Echo, and I'll get the new Amazon Echo (laughs) Dot. It's dusty. (laughs) And then what's going to end up happening, what's going to end up happening is uh, Prime Day is today and tomorrow, and then they're just going to declare Thursday, October 12th, the new new Black Friday. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but look, if uh, you're if you're Amazon priming today, happy shopping. Uh, meantime, there's been uh, some updates in the uh, uh, the labor talks on both sides of the border. Canada's auto union Unifor they announced a strike against GM. Uh, no temporary extension to hammer out a deal with Ford. Mack Trucks rejected a deal negotiated between their union leaders and the company, forcing a strike there as well. I believe, Renee, the grand total is 25,000 UAW workers are now on strike. Wow, this feels oddly familiar. Right. And back here at home, a seven, 70 Ford workers in Livonia, they've been laid off. 500 Stellantis workers at Trenton Engine, they've been laid off. Uh, there has been some progress on contract talks with GM. Um, they've agreed to restore some cost of living increases and up their 401k contributions. So uh, this weekend, uh, this this Friday, Sean Fain announcement hopefully is a banger. And uh, we, we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, here's hoping. Uh, layoffs were always part of the plan to subsidize and stretch the UAW strike fund. Uh, but it turns out some workers who are laid off uh, found out they are not eligible for unemployment. So hopefully everyone's available uh eligible for unemployment and they're called back when the uh, strike is over uh i don't know how much of the israel coverage you watched yesterday you probably watched a lot renee but i it, did it uh you know it, it was it was hard to watch for those of us from a safe distance here at home i can only imagine how tough it was uh you know you know to live through it and um just some updates israel ordered a complete siege of the gaza strip cutting off food, water, electricity, supplies to the 2.3 million people uh, who live on the Gaza Strip. Um, They've also, uh, the Israeli army has called up 300,000 reservists. Um, Both Hezbollah and Iran have come out and claimed that they had a hand in organizing this weekend surprise attack by Hamas on Israel. And um, 100 
hostages taken by Hamas. Hamas is threatening to kill them if Israel retaliates. So it's a it's a uh, the situation's gone from bad to worse over there. And they're threatening to kill those hostages and televise it. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because yesterday, a big part of the, the coverage were, were, were a lot of these videos posted by Hamas, videos of that um, that woman being kidnapped on the motorcycle and reaching out to her, her boyfriend who is being kidnapped. It's so hard to watch. Um, there is that video of that family being abducted, that woman having a bag being put over her head. Um I believe that Savannah talked to, to to her husband on the Today Show yesterday, and uh, that video of that twelve year old child being kidnapped. And, and I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's a good idea to keep showing these videos posted by Hamas on a loop. I understand you have to cover the story, yeah, and I understand you you got to get the 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 names and the faces of the missing out there. But at what point does it become gratuitous? And at what point are you actually helping to spread Hamas's propaganda? Yeah, I, on one hand, I, I am torn on this because on one hand, it is giving the publicity to these terrorist heinous acts. Uh, on the other, it is important to show the severity and the depth of how awful the situation is over there. Because it is easy for us to become tone deaf. And numb. And numb. Yeah. Right. Um yeah, it, it, it's very difficult. It, it's a fine line, uh, and I hate to give the terrorists. You are giving into what the terrorists want, right? Um, because that's the reason they're posting these right, videos. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's God, my heart breaks every time I see these videos, and and they are so heinous that you watch them. Some of them that you see over and over that it, it does. It is like seeing them for the first time. No matter how many times you watch them, yeah, I, I mean, just the just the pure brutality, right? The uh, the deliberate planned brutality, yes, um, is something that's a shock to us even uh, over here in the United States. Yeah, um, a couple of scary moments on TV. Uh, CNN's Clarissa Ward and her crew they had to take cover in a ditch while rockets shot overhead. Here's how that sounded. Get down. Close, close, close. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're okay. You're all right. You're all right. Okay. That's the iron dome. Okay. That's the iron dome. And then Richard Engel, same thing on on NBC. They were reporting from near the Gaza border when the rockets were were, were shooting overhead. Everyone had to take cover. Um, and I, I mean, the, the 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 poise of these reporters under these circumstances was was very surprising, um, very admirable. Uh, CNN stayed with Clarissa Ward, which I thought was a little bit tacky because. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't. God, and it was live. God forbid something happened to her and it's on live TV. Right. Again, I understand compelling television, but at least as far as I know, NBC didn't show what happened to Richard Engel and his crew until they knew he was okay so they right. could tell people. She, right. it, 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 they started asking her questions and she was a pro, but I'm just. She was lying in the ditch. Just waiting for this to pass. Right. Fearful of her life. Right.
Right. I There is not enough money in the world to take that assignment, first of all. Right. And, and, and you know, this might be interesting to pick Guy and Jamie's brain about, about later on. Um, you know, there's got to be this this mindset that, you know, you, you know, especially if you're an international correspondent, stuff like this could happen. I mean, Richard Engel has been taken captive uh, before mm-hmm. in the Middle East, and he's he's escaped multiple times. So, uh, you know, maybe you have a soldier mentality when you go over there. You but, must. Yeah. Because then when I saw her yesterday back on TV, I was like, they didn't give that girl the day off. Right. And it's funny because Richard Engel was on with Lester <laughs> later on that night. I was like, give that girl some time. Yeah. Uh, so, God, there's there's still so much we haven't got to. I, I mean, there's so many a- angles. We could do the whole uh, hour on this. But uh, uh, it's been really disheartening to see. One of the things we were worried about back here is that fights would break out between pro, uh, pro-Israel pro and pro-Palestinian um, organizations here. Um, there was some tension, although I don't think it got violent in New York yesterday. Out in California, there was a demonstration over the weekend where, where there were punches thrown, uh, nobody injured. And, um, you know, that's just kind of the ripple effect something like this has. Um, so we uh, have to take a quick break. Real quick, um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and six senators, uh, they were in China yesterday meeting with President Xi Chinese governor government has strongly denounced the attacks on Israel by Hamas. Now, I didn't know this. China has traditionally backed the Palestinians, but they've been working to strengthen ties with Israel to boost trade. And I think that 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 stops China from doing a lot of bad things China would like to do mm-hmm. because they have a monetary interest in, in a lot of this. Uh, you know, a lot of these countries, I think that's why they haven't gotten directly um, involved in the uh, Ukrainian Russian conflict. Uh, two governors are uh, governments are trying to arrange a face to face meeting between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden during a regional summit in San Francisco next month. Um, obviously, this uh, denouncement is probably mostly symbolic. I don't see them getting involved um, in this conflict either. But between the meeting between this meeting and next month's meeting, uh, we can kind of uh, keep China away from Taiwan or at least um, slow down any plans that they have. Um, for Taiwan in, in that time. So uh, speaking of time, we're over. It's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale on WJR. With Renee Vitale and uh, Renee, I believe that uh, we have uh, a, an update in the Democratic uh, presidential race, so to speak. Yes, we do. Robert F. Kennedy, is that what we're referring to? F.K. Jr. Yeah, Jr. He plans to abandon his bid for the Democratic presidential nomination and instead will run for the White House as an independent. Kennedy's move raises the chances that he will play a spoiler in the 2024 election. He announces break with the National Democratic Party at an event in Philadelphia on Monday. You know, his late father, Senator Robert Kennedy of New York and late uncle, President John F. Kennedy, are icons of the Democratic Party. Now, the shift comes as Kennedy lags far behind President Joe Biden in national polls of Democratic voters a little more than a year out from the 2024 election. So in addition to Biden's 
incumbent status, which makes it very difficult to challenge him from within the party. Kennedy also holds views that put him at odds with the majority of Democratic voters. Kennedy first garnered national political attention for pushing baseless anti-vaccine conspiracies during the COVID pandemic, but he also opposes U.S. aid to Ukraine. Now, positions like these have helped to endear Kennedy to high-profile figures on the far right who typically align with former President Donald Trump. And as polls increasingly show Trump even more likely to sweep the Republican presidential primary, the prospect of an independent run by Kennedy is being viewed by the White House as a potentially serious threat to Biden's reelection. And former Senator Hillary Clinton, the one-time Democratic presidential nominee, warned Biden earlier this month at the White House not to underestimate the potential impact of a third-party challenge on a two-person race. Green Party candidate Jill Stein is widely viewed as having cut into Clinton's uh, 2016 yes. support in key Midwestern states. Ross po- Perot, George H.W. Potentially tipping the election in Trump's favor that year. Well, I think this is the best thing uh, that has happened to RFK Jr.'s uh, candidacy because he has gotten more buzz after uh, abandoning the the D by his name and going independent than he has this entire um you know, election cycle yeah. so far. And I also heard he's got more favorable poll numbers with Republicans and Democrats, which makes sense because he's running against Joe Biden. And uh going to bring in Parker Moser, who uh, has been uh, looking into RFK and uh, he's got some uh, interesting uh, opinions on the matter. Yeah. So looking at some of his policies, uh, you're right to say that he is pulling influence uh, from the right because he is reaching over on some of those issues. But he's also, I feel, split between the two parties where he's very hard set on certain issues that are not consistent between the two parties. So overall, I think it's he's a very divisive candidate. Like he's he's unapologetically pro-choice. But he's also extremely hard constitutional Second Amendment, which are two very different sides of the political aisle. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's probably reflective of, of most people. I mean, right. most mo- most people who aren't partisans, you know, they they have some views that are conservative. They have some views that are liberal, which, I, I like I said, I think puts him in in uh, kind of more lockstep with the average voter. But uh, at the same time ironically puts him at a disadvantage as a candidate. I think it puts him in a prime position to split the vote, honestly, because where we are right now, you're right. That is where the average person is. But the average person, the average voter is also very likely to just vote for their party's candidate. So while the Republicans can just go and do that and it's just fine and they get their candidate, the Democrats now have to choose between RFK on principle or voting for their party because it's the most likely to win. But for that undecided voter. Mm-hmm. Right. Take- and that's where you siphon some of those votes away from from Joe Biden, because mm-hmm. um, although he's polling well with Republicans, those Republicans aren't going to vote for him. They're 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 only uh, he's only polling well with them because they think he's going to steal votes away from Joe Biden and give Donald Trump an advantage. Right. So, um what do you guys think of this? Um, the kickoff time for the Michigan-Michigan State game. It's going to be October 21st at Spartan Stadium. It'll be a prime time game at 7.30. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i leery of this because, number one, it's a rivalry game. Rivalry games late in the day are never a good idea because people are tailgating and partying um, all day. 
Um, booze are now being served at the stadium, so that's going to be tough. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I know the players aren't out tailgating, but they're, they're spending all day getting hyped up. The tensions are going to be boiling over unless we forget about the little scuffle in the uh, tunnel last year after the MSU U of M game. I can't believe that was only a year ago. I know. It was like two or three scandals ago from both schools. <laughs> right. You know, I, why so late? Well, I can't think we meet in the middle. It's well, money. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. number one, I have no idea how these college football games are scheduled anymore. If if if, if I remember correctly, you know, the, the marquee games were in prime time. Yeah. This isn't really a marquee game. Of course, Michigan's a powerhouse, but Michigan State's in the middle of a lost season. Uh, and then, you know, decent games would be at 3.30, and then your meh games would be at noon. But, but now Fox has the big noon kickoff where they take a big game. And then um, Kevin Warren, former uh, commissioner of the Big Ten, signed this weird TV deal with multiple networks. One of them was NBC, mm-hmm. uh, where they get a prime t- where, where they get a Big Ten primetime game. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I would have to look at the rest of the the Big Ten slate that that week. Maybe since this is a rivalry game, even though it, it's almost a foregone conclusion, Michigan's going to run away with it. Um, maybe that's why, but yeah, ra- rivalry games late at night always make uh, people a little bit nervous. I mean, like six would even be better. <laughs> right. They're really that's... just trying to catch people off of work. That's the biggest thing, really. What, on Saturday? On a Saturday? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, it's easier for people to do stuff. That's true. I totally forgot it was a Saturday. Get but the grass cut, rake the leaves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it probably has more to do with this weird contract the Big Ten yeah, signed with it's with totally it with uh, NBC. Um, somebody uh, is back on the job. Uh, who I thought this person was was toast when this story came out. Yeah, a Detroit firefighter who took nude photos on the job has returned back to work after being suspended for 29 days without pay. Detroit's media relations director, John Roach, said in a statement, given that he had no prior disciplinary issues, we're confident that losing a month's pay will ensure that he does not violate the city's social media policy going forward. Uh, The man is a nine-year veteran of the Detroit Fire Department. The photos became the subject of scrutiny after they were shared on social media. One photo showed the man's face and exposed genitalia with a fire truck in the background and appeared to have been taken inside a Detroit firehouse. Another depicted the man naked while showing his firefighter badge. What? A third photo showed the man wearing a fire department uniform shirt with his pants down. Uh, Well, number one, I'm sure... That the fire department is short-staffed, and so they're not going to fire anyone unless they broke the law. Right. Number two, I don't <laughs> think, I, I don't even think taking these pictures was the dumbest thing this guy did. All right? Look, I don't know who these pictures were for. I don't know. It, they said it was posted. He was as, thirst trapping. Well, so what was, yeah, was he posting these on his own social media account or? or yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if this he sent it to someone and and was it was like a revenge porn situation. No, but uh, hey, man, like I said, go off. We're talking about uh, you know all these professions having to turn to OnlyFans because they don't make enough money. Why did you put your badge number in I there? I know you're doing it wrong. Come on, thirst trapping one hundred and one. I mean, here's the thing: if 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 he did this on his own time, not on city property, <laughs> I say go off, King. Right, King. But I mean. <laughs> 
his 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 bat like something so identifiable. Why don't you just why don't you just put your driver's license in the picture? <laughs> Social security number. Right. I mean, That's where he messed up. They they were. I don't even. I didn't hate it. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, firefighter is a very sexy profession. It is. If I were trying to uh, build my portfolio as an <laughs> online adult entertainer and I, I had access to. You just, uh, but you, you put a Detroit fire you, truck in the background. I know. You put your badge number up. And Spirit Halloween is open. <laughs> Don't use the real deal, man. Right. Come on. I mean, I, you know what? You could do great <laughs> things with green screens. Find a picture of a fire truck in the background. Not very smart. Not Come on, man. <laughs> All right. So if you feel stupid at work today, don't. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. And Renee Vitale and I always like to Bring in the crew from first thing a little bit, uh, a little bit early here. Guy Lloyd and Jamie in studio, and uh, you know we're, we're we're slowly finding out and trying to find out exactly how many um, Americans are 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 being affected by this war between Israel and, and Hamas. And uh, this morning we actually got word that uh, on top of Alex Anzalone. Um, the Detroit Lions linebacker, his parents being stuck over there on a church trip, uh, a church right here in Novi, 27 members of Oak Point Church. They're stuck over in Israel. They were supposed to come home uh, tomorrow, uh, but they're stuck there because just about every airline um, has stopped flights in and out of the country. Right. And uh, luckily for now, they're in Jerusalem. They're not in any direct danger right now. Um and uh, hopefully they can come home safe and sound. So that's a very, uh, a very scary situation. And then there are reports that local churches, though, local synagogues, local temples have had to beef up security because of the inflammatory rhetoric that's out there and the anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism that have, well, has, has been percolated. The refusal of some people to condemn this as a terrorist act. And uh, that's, that's having ripple effects in that community, too. Well, one of my um, concerns was over the weekend... Um, was some of that violence spilling over here to the United States. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing some of that. Um, things got tense in New York City. I don't think there was actually any violence, but there were pro-Israel and, and pro-Palestine demonstrations. They were uh, uh, separated by barriers. They got into a shouting match. And um, some some uh, punches were thrown in San Diego at a uh, at one of these demonstrations. So we're starting to see that, that ripple effect and I forgot who we were talking to yesterday, but they made it a point that. Um, well, I think Jamie made it a point as we were talking to someone that, you know, worrying about the spillover of just the fact that we need to come together and unify in this right. community. Yeah, it's a scary time. And we also talked just now about the images we're all watching on social media. It, I'm internalizing it. I'm feeling so horrible. And, and as a journalist, too. And to see these journalists over there, I mean, yeah. we see them in, in different, yeah. you know, war, but to see them over there, like in ditches and ducking yeah. and, right. and, you know. Well, we talked about this earlier. Um, you know, the the two I caught were Richard, Richard Engel from uh, NBC. Here's a little audio of that. Stay down, stay down. Listen to how composed he is here. So these seem to be mortars, and they are coming in very close. 
I mean, he, he goes on with his report while, while it's well, happening. He is a consummate professional. I think about that all the time when I see him on the well, screen. You know, part of my French, he, he, as far as journalists goes, he's, he's a badass. I mean, he's been yeah. captured overseas. He, I, I mean, the guy's got no fear. But you, you have to wonder, you're, you're one of these journalists. I, I remember thinking this back uh, during the beginning of the uh, Ukraine-Russia war where mm-hmm. you had reporters literally on hotel balconies. With Kiev in the background. Right. Well, you've got a Fox correspondent now that's going through life without a foot. Right? Wow. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we guys that were blown up by IUDs and, uh, and were, and, and, and I think they also lost two, uh, journalists, producers, camera people, the folks that you don't see. Um, but yeah, Fox, we've, we've, you know, we've lost folks from our own Fox family. As a television, but do you get some type of combat? Right pay or something, you know, when you go over there, because you're putting your life yeah. in danger, and your, you know, your your family's worried about you every day, but you're yeah. doing your job. I, get I have that, no but... idea. I mean, I've never been on a foreign assignment where I felt necessary to take out a, an insurance policy. policy. Yeah. Right? They're well, enduring the same type of uh, ty- type of things that soldiers, right? The go Israeli through. people are going yes. through. Yes. Um, job. I don't know that there's enough money well, to take that on. Well, and I can't imagine being one of these overseas correspondents. You know, you're trying to live a normal life. You got you have plans this weekend coming up, and then you know this happens. Yeah, but yeah, this is the this is the job that you accept, right? Yeah. And you, and, and you're right. We, we should revere their professionalism, what they're doing. I mean, my I, I just was trying to catch up on a lot of things yesterday, and went through the interview that the Today Show had that we referenced mm-hmm. the, yeah. with the dad who's. His two daughters, five and three years old, are being held in Gaza right now right? Yeah. with his wife. And uh, he was able to confirm it by tracking her cell phone through Google, uh, but uh, just watched her being taken over the border into Gaza. Mm. Well, and just he keeps seeing, oh my gosh, these are babies. Well, and, and it's the deliberate plan brutality that's so shocking. Yeah. Um, you know, um, there was that, that story of that Brandeis professor who listened to his daughter and son-in-law get murdered over the phone. And they were in contact with their grandson all day. And eventually he was able to escape. Who was under his mother's body. Right, the parents protected. Beneath, yeah, beneath her. Right, and, and the Hamas militants on their way out tried to set the house on fire because they figured that would draw any survivors out and they can pick them off. So it's just... Jonathan Greenblatt, who's the CEO of, of the Anti-Defamation League, you and I went through his yeah. interview with Morning Joe yesterday. And I mean, and he talked about the woman that because she couldn't be removed, yep. because she was not mobile, they just burned her alive in her house. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I mean, you know. but so when people in this community refuse to condemn Hamas for the brutal animals that they were in this attack... That means something. Mm-hmm. You're refusing to take a stand against a terrorist act that means something. These people were inhumane. Yeah. Right. I mean, say what you want between uh, about the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Hamas isn't Hamas is, is a terrorist agent. Um, there is and, justifiable criticism of Israel here. Mm-hmm. No question. It's OK to criticize Israel. But not to condemn like this. Killing babies. Yeah, is yeah. Not it. And and they're doing it on to give purpose. Give them cover. Right. And yeah. uh, you know, uh, talking about the images that are just being played over, over and, and over, over again. It's like, at what point does it go from compelling TV to kind of giving Hamas w- what they want? It's, uh, um, yeah. And uh, 
More on this JR Morning coming up. First thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale. If you uh, want to subscribe to the podcast, just go to wherever you get your shows. Search First Thing WJR. Bad economic news for Michigan. We are near the bottom when it comes to personal income in the country and the Midwest. Eric Lufer, president of the Citizens Research Council, discusses the trend with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz on All Talk. I want to bring up something pretty important economically in the state of Michigan. Michigan was once a very prosperous state, you know, I think decades ago, about 1980, when things started to shift. Right now, we're in kind of an economic quagmire. Uh, personal incomes in the state of Michigan have now hit a record low compared to the rest of the country. The average income, Michigan earns 87 cents on the dollar, Kevin, and we are the lowest income earners in the entire Midwest. Yeah, the average income for Michigan residents, Tom, was $57,000. Uh, we, we, we love this state. We love Michigan. That's why we have to fight to make it better. We talk a lot about our failure in education, our failure to teach kids here and the impact that has. But we have to talk about this economic situation. We are a declining state. Why are workers in Michigan making so much less than workers in other states? Let's bring in Eric Lou for president of Citizens Research Council. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. Uh, it, it the headline is it, it, it's upsetting. Uh, how long has this been going on, and it, how what is the situation? How how dire is it? If it is dire, well, yeah, it's certainly a wake up call and something that we have to pay attention to, as you just suggested. Um, is it you know is it alarming? Well, I don't want to be too alarmist, um, but it is an issue. Uh, because we're not attracting the employers, specifically the high-paying employers uh, that would be uh, high in skill, hiring skilled people, earning bigger wages. It is alarming because we've had a lot of what we would call wage stagnation in the middle income levels, where they've just gotten very marginal increases in pay over the um, you know last years and um, so there's less purchasing power and and less attraction of businesses that want to come in selling to people in Michigan. Um, you know, and when you think it, uh, think about upstate Michigan, rural Michigan, um, there's sort of been a hollowing out and fewer and fewer fewer employers. Um, so a lot of things come together for this measure to be as low as it has there's no one thing um but as you suggest it's like hey it's time to pay attention to this and what do we do to get this turned around yeah we're worried about people leaving michigan there's population stagnation going on here uh when you start to talk about do we first have to identify what's gone wrong before we can fix it or can we start to fix it right away yeah i mean we we know that there's a lot of things that are going wrong, and we don't need a new study to figure that out. Um, workforce participation in Michigan is some of the lowest in the nation. So just getting people that are on the sidelines back to work and earning wages is going to help lift that. Um, dealing, you know, getting the the UAW strike settled and whatever percent they agree on is, is going to help boost uh, wages in Michigan. Um, so there's a lot of things that can happen right away, and and then you know deal with the get the low hanging fruit, and then worry about the other stuff as we go.
What about like corporate attraction? Because we had uh, former Governor Rick Snyder saying, listen, this this growing union environment within Michigan, yeah, might in the short term increase some hourly wages. But in the long term, more companies are not going to come here to employ more people. Could that be part of the issue here, do you think, or is that is that unrelated? Well, Michigan, you know, in our lifetimes has always been a union state and and we have had business attraction and then we've had you know down periods with uh, less business attraction so I don't know that that is a a single issue certainly there are employers businesses out there that prefer not to work in a union environment so so that's going to be part of it but others are happy to work with labor um, but business attraction in in any regard is a big issue and part of our problem is we've been paying a lot of attention to attracting those middle income and, and you know we certainly need factory jobs this is, you know motor city and and um, our bread and butter is manufacturing but if we could turn some of that economic development um, capacity into attracting the high-tech businesses and uh, the, the businesses that are employing people with master's degree and doctorate degrees and uh, educa college educated people those are going to bring in higher incomes and that's going to help the state a lot more than a factory paying fifty sixty seventy thousand dollars a year to those workers well we look at the states surrounding us you know ohio does better than us indiana does better wisconsin illinois does much better minnesota does far better than any of the those midwest states what do they have that Michigan does not to give them a better, you know, uh, income for these workers in those states? Yeah, you know, it's a lot of what we were just talking about. They haven't put all their um, chips onto attracting those factories, bringing those in. They certainly, you know, as we know, the auto sector and manufacturing is sprinkled all throughout these Midwest states, the, the Big Ten states, I like to call them. Um, but they have gone big into those high high tech businesses, the the STEM businesses that are going to be paying a lot more. Uh, they're doing better at getting their workers off the sidelines and participating in the workforce, and something that Michigan's struggling with. Um, so that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. There's no simple answer to that question. Um, I, you know, I don't know what more to say with that. It's, Do we have? So, does Michigan have more regulations and more taxes? Could we be more uh, pro business, uh, business friendly? Our tax structure is very friendly. We're, our, so specific, you know, generally for everyone paying taxes in Michigan, the tax burden ranks 46 among the 50 states, meaning only four other states are taxing in total less than us. Our corporate income tax is very competitive. Uh, the the income tax, so if you're not a corporation but you're a partnership or LLC or something like that, the the individual income tax rate is very low. So I don't think it's taxes that are getting in the way of this. Um, you know, we have regulation. All states have regulation. I haven't seen any studies to know if Michigan is more or less regulated than the other states. Um, mm. 
Well, you know, the part of it, part of regulation is trying to make sure there aren't externalities affecting the rest of us. So, well, some regulation is good. I don't know if we have too much. Eric Lufer, president of the Citizens Research Council, talking about how the state of Michigan is lagging behind when it comes to personal income. It's first thing on WJR.